Welcome back to Netflix and Kill, the podcast dedicated to reviewing and documenting the horror films of Netflix. I'm Kai. I'm Marty. I'm Hannah. And I am the occasionally recurring Aaron. Welcome Mm, back, Aaron. I'm sort of the token uh, weird academic type, and you brought me for a film that absolutely (laughs) repels any attempt at analysis. I don't know. There's a lot of um, cultural cross-wiring going on that you were really um, astute at picking up while we were watching. We usually bring you in for the nasty stuff, so like... Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to geek out about Roman Britain eventually, but after after a fashion. And what a fashion it is. You're usually here for, like, the BDSM Cenobite stuff, so this feels about right. Am I the kinky person during the Hellraiser episodes? No, but you're just there constantly. (laughs) I gotcha. Somebody's got to intellectualize all this kink. It's the strangest superpower to have, but it is needed in these these troubled times. I am the kink whisperer. (laughs) (laughs) And today's kink is uh, snake women with strap-ons. Hello? I'm into it. Hello? Mommy? Yeah. Sorry. So Mommy? To, Sorry. Um, Mommy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, to give us some context, um, this November we are doing a little thing we'd like to call No Netflix November. So, uh, for those not caught up on current events, Netflix is being um, boycotted of sorts by some of their transgender employees for um, various ways they've been treated and not listened to. Well, it's it started with the refusal of uh, Netflix to take down the Chappelle uh, stand-up thing based on the fact yeah. that he encouraged Which, turf behavior. Yeah, like, I legit stand-up. read his, uh, I read, like, a transcript of the stuff he said, and it's, like, it's not even comedy at all. It's, like... Like, he's not even making jokes. It's literally him just standing up and being like... I hate we trans shouldn't, women. Yeah, like, we shouldn't tr- trust trans people um, is basically what he's saying. So, like, that's already... That's shady. And so then when some mm-hmm. of the transgender employees at Netflix spoke up about this, um, at least one of them got fired, from what I understand. And, and so a bunch the, more walked out. So. Yeah, they have organized a walkout, so we are standing in solidarity. We are not covering anything from Netflix for this month. And, Even though we're uh, still called Netflix and Kill for this month, we're going to be Kill Netflix. Yes. Hey, I like that. <laughs> um, so welcome to No Netflix November. This is this is why I bought both creep movies on DVD, so <laughs> I can still watch them. <laughs> Honestly, I appreciate that. Um, physical media is important. But that's a tangent for Absolutely. another day. Um, I, I so need our, well, and I'll I need be honest with you. <laughs> Netflix's uh, horror movie selection, and of course, this is always about a bigger issue in terms of human rights and human dignity should always be respected. But I'm going to be honest with you: the horror movie selection on Netflix was kind of drying up. There wasn't a lot of great stuff left. Yeah, honestly, yeah. So this, uh, our first pick. For no Netflix November is the Lair of the White Worm, and it was actually recommended to us on Twitter by the user Keanu Wave. 
Um, yeah. This was back when we asked for recommendations for one of our Halloween episodes. And great username, by the way. a lot of really great ones. Yes, it is a great username. Oh, we ended up going with Freaky, but I had never heard of the Lair of the White Worm, so I looked it up. And like just from the poster art alone, I thought this movie oh. looked incredible. Keanu Wave is Christina, um, and she's one of my like oldest Tumblr mutual friends. So thank you. Oh heck yeah! Nice. Well, thank yeah, thank you, Christina, for your recommendation. Um, Such I, yeah, a good I just, time. I, I enjoyed it, this thoroughly. Yeah, I thought it looked so it good. Was great. So um, we ended up, we decided to take a second recommendation and and cover this movie as well. Uh, and yeah, we all thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. Cra- crazy stuff. Uh, Peter Capaldi is in it. Um, Hugh Grant he was is Hugh Grant. in it. Kind of adorable when he was young. He looks so yeah. dorky, and I he's love it. He's got a very Egon Spangler look to him, and I like that mm-hmm. a lot. He's like, Briti- he's like British Harold Ramis. <laughs> Scottish Harold Ramis, I should say. Which well, is probably why Christina just... likes this movie, honestly, because uh, Christina's a big Egon fan. Ah, uh, okay. Mm. This film, <laughs> what was it, Aaron? Sorry you said, to call it's you so out, Christina. <laughs> incredibly British. Even though one of the characters is it Scottish, is. it just it oozed with that England charm. They say oh, knackered. Yeah, the, the, the dialogue was fantastic. I was like trousers. <laughs> worth noting, worth noting, uh, Scotland is part of the UK, so regrettably, uh, in the opinion of about 49% of Scots. <laughs> technically, a Scot being present does not make the film less British. True. Yeah. Though there are some very, very dedicated Scottish independence people who would tell you otherwise. Yeah. Well, like, honestly... Um, going by, this was the first observation we made about the film, and this is, like, probably my only criticism of it, is I could not tell what accent, what accents were happening. Um, like... I eventually placed it, the closest I could come to placing it, it's, I mean, it's probably Midlands, I'd have to Google it to make sure where the movie's set. The... They sound a bit like the West York, like the poet from West Yorkshire that came to uh, that came to um, the school back when I did uh, poetry, back when I ran poetry readings and stuff, or helped run poetry readings. Wait, when did you run poetry so I, readings? Uh, I was part of the. Oh gosh, I didn't advertise this to the film school people. Yeah, was, why uh, the heck not? I want to go to poetry readings. Right, right, and they invited a guy named Simon Armitage, who's like, like a reasonably successful British poet with an incredibly thick West Yorkshire accent. And these people reminded me of that, but the there's like a lot of subtle, even if they are from the Midlands, the really subtle variants among accents I just can't clock. Not helped by the fact that everyone in this movie is eighty yard. Oh, yeah, so all I know is Peter Capaldi is like Scottish. The, the ADR wasn't great. Um, occasionally, I had trouble understanding what people were saying, and the subtitles that were provided were not helpful. Um, okay, I will I say right. it's a Derby, Derbyshire, East Midlands. So, and it is mm. West Yorkshire is nearby. So I wasn't super wrong. 
Well, and I will say, even if I personally don't have a great ear for accents, especially not in uh, Britain, but I could tell based on, like, you know, cultural osmosis what uh, their kind of social standing was based on the kind of ways they inflected their voice. Like, the way Hugh Grant talked and the way the snake woman talked was, like, different than the way the the two younger women who were more of the village class talked. And, of course, you have Mr. Scottish over here, um, uh, class to himself. <laughs> The Scottish class. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that was that was my only thing, and that's really a nitpick, because, like, everything else about this movie is incredible. So I guess we should break it down. Yeah, so for some background information, um, this is based on a Bram Stoker novel, which I didn't know he had done stuff besides Dracula, but, like... I think that's super cool. And apparently um, this is also like a really popular folklore in um, various parts of the UK is this myth of the giant worm that was killed. So there is a great song that I really hope was a folk song that they turned into this kind of rock country number. Um, Yeah. So it is, it is an actual folk song. (laughs) Fucking genius i love it yeah no that song was fantastic and what a great way to um convey like this kind of background information to the audience without just like sitting down and having someone monologue to the audience like you put it in Which, a jam. to be fair they do do it again immediately after but it's hugh grant monologuing to me and listen he can monologue the fucking phone book to me and I'd listen with rapt attention. I am going to be basic in that I find him incredibly hot, but also everyone else in this movie is incredibly hey, hot fair too, enough. but he is also very hot. Right, right. The uh yeah, the exposition is generally preceded or followed by um, by something of like visually arresting. Then again, I mean, everything in this movie that isn't just flat exposition is really, really cool to look at. Mm-hmm. Just as kind of the the uh, the mo of this director, who's I've only seen another one of his films. Uh, the director Ken Russell, by the way, uh, director of The Devils and Gothic, which is the one I have seen. Um, probably most well known today because a later one of his movies titled Whore became a gag on a relatively popular Game Grumps episode. Oh my God. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, Gothic, by the way, is the movie about the uh, the um, writers' meeting between the people who between like Mary Shelley and Percy Shelley and John Paul. Oh, and, uh, interesting. Byron. That's cool. And, uh, it's it implies that all of the great books they wrote during that time period, you know, basically much of the late nineteenth century British literature canon, all being written in the same day, was the result of them dropping acid. I'd believe it. Yeah. It's it's something. A lot of the dialogue is just taken directly from uh, Mary Shelley's actual diary, which is super surreal. But anyway, I, I say that mostly to give context for the kind of director Ken Russell is. One of those great, like, quintessentially British, because he would have never found funding if he were American. Uh, absolute lunatic directors i compare him uh occasionally to derek jarman um and some of the visuals here remind me really heavily of derek jarman like the the weird shit in sebastiane or something like that Mm -hmm. that kind of like visually resplendent above all else including 
coherent. Um, though this is slightly more coherent than it otherwise would be because it is basically a monster movie. Yeah. It is kind of a sexier Dracula, ain't it? It kind of is. Um, yeah. And I think... You forget how not sexy the original Dracula novel is. Oh my god. With all the later adaptations that make it hotter. Well, Unless as I was looking through the Wikipedia page for this movie, um, apparently, like, Ken Russell legit, basically, like, word for word says, like, yeah, this is very similar to Dracula, but more interesting. <laughs> you know what? Good for him. So as Penny Dreadful writers, man, they... They didn't care. (laughs) (sighs) Stoker stumbled upon some really good concepts and didn't completely botch them in execution. And that is why he's a legend of early horror fiction. Mm -hmm. You'll never hear him him taught in classes the same way that Mary Shelley is. Yeah. Uh, So I guess we should kind of get into... Get into The worms. The worms. Let's go into the lair. (laughs) The worms. Um, so we meet <laughs> the worms our worms crawling. The worms crawling. We have Sorry, a I'm young done. Peter Capaldi, who is a um, what is he like an archaeologist or something? And he's completing his studies. Um, and while he's doing this, he's staying at a bed and breakfast that's run by two sisters, who we learn um, have their father has disappeared. And then he finds a big skull. He finds a big old skull. <laughs> and then they go to a party. <laughs> yeah, where they play this what jam happens and, next. Yeah, they play this that jam and folk song. And like, I wanted to go to this party. Right? Um, it's held by the local uh, rich boy whose family I think was very influential in forming the village. Does anyone know like what his relatives did for the town? Or were they just kind of... A wealthy uh, aristocrat. He's a descendant of the person who supposedly killed the worm in the folk mm-hmm. story. Because the story goes that there was a gigantic white worm that was eating children and sheep and cows and generally tormenting people. Um, and this uh, man cut it in half and killed it. Mm-hmm. And so now, like, this rich guy is basically a descendant of the guy who killed it. Yeah, and I think once a year he holds a party where he reenacts the the slicing of the worm. Yeah, I would totally go to that party. Oh my god, it looked like a fucking ball. It was awesome. It was so, so for those great. Of, so for those of you at home keeping track of the Britishisms of this movie, <laughs> uh, in the first ten minutes we have incredibly thick East Midlands accents. We have uh, direct allu- direct allusions to Roman Britain, which I'll get into later. I'm really excited to talk about that. Uh, and a man so posh he's introduced wearing tails. <laughs> oh my god, yes! <laughs> I think he's wearing tails in that scene, right? I didn't just misremember him as wearing tails because he no, was you're that correct. posh and I immediately assumed he was, right? You're right. You're right, okay. Right. So, um, later on we find out that the pocket watch that belongs to the father of the two girls... Um, has been found in a cave. And so, why? Okay, again, why is the police officer like poking around Snake because Lady's the, house? 
the archaeologist and uh, his girlfriend are walking home from the party and she sees a car on the lady... Sylvia, what is her last name? Worm lady. Snake lady, not worm lady. I'm so sorry. I disrespected you, mommy. Anyway. <laughs> um, well, but she... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Lair of the White Worm, she is technically like a she worm. She is worm and snake. She is all things. She is every woman. It's all in her. Anyway, she... They say there's an intruder on her property, so then the police officer goes to check it out, has a fantastic conversation with his dr- only drunk partner, I guess, and then gets bit by a snake and goes into her house and she hypnotizes him. Yeah, um, so just this character, how how do we even, uh, she is like the sexiest character I've ever seen in any movie ever. <laughs> I, think. I am as soon so... as she showed up on screen, I was like, "Yeah, she's the villain," but also all of, like, all yeah. of her outfits are <laughs> just killers. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, she's she has a snake these lady. awesome what like sunglasses. She spits that she wears venom. She spits outfit. venom onto a crucifix. Um, she wears a massive strap on at 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 one point. There's a great sequence where she picks up a hitchhiker um, and, like, pretends she's going to solicit him and suck his dick. Instead, she bites it, puts venom in his dick, and then just slowly steps on his head until he sinks beneath the bath that she has drawn for him. And he just never appears again. Yeah, and then they play snakes. The no, they don't play snakes and ladders. Then they played snakes and ladders earlier. Anyway, oh. the point and is, the, and, I wish and, I and, was and, that guy. And in this scene, she is wearing like this black lingerie and these massive, like thigh high heeled boots. Not only am I disappointed that the she hasn't become a more widely recognized queer icon in the horror community, I am angry. <laughs> That she hasn't become a more widely recognized icon in the queer community, in terms of horror, at least. Because, like, this is, her style is on point. I would need to learn more about the fashion designer for this movie, because every look she had is just iconic. So For sure, for sure. Um, Going back a little bit, though, like, when she spits on the, uh, um, the crucifix... There's this, like, weird thing that happens when one of the girls touches it. She's, like, trying to get it clean, apparently. And she touches it, and she starts hallucinating, like, Jesus being wrapped in a snake. And then Roman soldiers are, like, raping nuns. And, like, it's really trippy. And, like, I was watching it going, like, oh, my God, what is going on? Yeah, I didn't know what to make of that. Um, yeah, those were also kind of filmed pretty oh, clearly on videotape rather than the rest of the movie, which is shot presumably 35 mil. Mm-hmm. So when it gets cleaned up for the DVD and HD release, like the two, the two, uh, the two sequences completely like they do not look like they come from the same film. No, and even though they're, these are horrifying, terrible very bad things that are being shown in these nightmare sequences. It's kind of a fucking trip. Like, it's extremely some of my favorite sequences in the movie. Like, whenever that goo comes into contact with somebody, I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go. It's like going down on a roller coaster. 
where you're just it like is. screaming and there's color and yeah. sound and symbolism. But yeah, I did in my little research thing of this film, I I did find out that the director is Catholic, which explains a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that surprises no one. After a fashion, he must have been the last actual Christian left in England. <laughs> Days the only people showing up to churches are clergy over there. Well, I mean, that doesn't mean he goes to church, because clearly he has some uh, some unresolved issues with his right. faith, possibly. Um, Is this where we kind of get into the um, the Roman mythology kind of crossing over with the Christian mythology in terms of the snake goddess and or yeah. God? I I was kind of confused right, as wanna, to who the deity was. Do we want to? Do we want to? Uh, all right. I'll crack this open a bit, if y'all will let me. Yes, please do. Okay. Stage is yours. Okay, so the, um, so that's the, uh, Sylvia is revealed to be an acolyte of a snake god known as Dionin. And a lot of tension, uh, is brought up between, uh, early Britain, under the rule of the Romans, uh, the, uh, it's, it's pointed out that they stand on land in the East Midlands that was part of the uh, Roman-British allotment of Mercia. Uh, in fact, you can actually still see a lot of people in those parts of Britain today fly the flag of Mercia as kind of a, a shout-out to Roman heritage and a lot of uh, other interesting stuff, going back to the Gallic Wars. I mean, there's a statue of Boudicca outside um, Parliament, I believe, uh, very near the statue of Richard the Lionheart. Um, and... Uh, so it's at first thought. So at first, it's a uh, a pretty obvious parallel between the um, between the uh, between the Roman between Roman paganism, possibly specifically the Roman snake god Glaucon, who was later revealed to be a uh, a hoax. Alan Moore worships that snake god. Alan Moore, the writer of Watchmen, worships that snake god, despite full, full well knowing that it's a hoax because Alan Moore's theology is weird. Um, <laughs> and so, okay, that's the tension established. Then during a final during the final uh, sequence or penultimate sequence I should say where Sylvia is performing the ritual to summon Dionin, she refers to him as the snake in the Garden of Eden, the serpent who was possessed by Satan, who tempted, who tempted Eve, and all of that. Which at that point becomes an interesting, definitely kind of theologically weird parallel between Roman paganism and Gnosticism. Now Gnosticism. Uh, is a series of beliefs based on the Greek, I believe, word gnosis, meaning knowledge, referring to knowledge of God, that holds that... I'm going to use the classic Gnost, the classical Gnostic view of, uh, of all of this stuff, because there's a lot of different stuff that counts as Gnosticism, but it holds that the God of the Bible is a false God known as Yaldabaoth, who created the earth in imitation of the true creation of the Most High, the ultimate true God, and that after some, and that uh, and that a being known as so like the true God creates reflections of itself, itself importantly, uh, and one of those becomes, and one of those Sophia wisdom creates Yaldabaoth uh, by accident. And so she comes to Earth after Yaldabaoth has created it to liberate us, and she feeds Eve the apple from the Garden of Eden 
because knowledge of good and evil means knowledge of the illusory world that we are placed in by Yaldabaoth. So in that context, the serpent becomes heroic, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil becomes a thing that humankind needed, and the god of the Old Testament that punished Adam and Eve for eating from the tree becomes uh, fundamentally villainous. There's a lot of shit you can talk about with Gnosticism, and I've barely scratched the surface. For example, Gnostics also often believed in reincarnation, much like uh, some Jewish Kabbalists and, of course, Buddhists, uh, Hindus, etc. do. Um, it is, ba I mean, it is, it is one of the most interesting avenues of theological study to me, anyway. I've listened to Great Courses has like a 24 lecture series about the Gnostics and their various uh, permutations. Not really any direct relation to Roman mythology, so it was just, so, shit's made up, right? But the very weird ways in which these things parallel each other, and of course Ken Russell, a Catholic, his, his, his church persecuted the Gnostics, so I'm sure there was an interest there in him. Ken Russell is nothing if not well-versed in heresy, uh, <laughs> as the fact that one of his films has been banned, I think, more times than almost any other film in the world, that film being The Devil's. Uh, banned, re-edited. There's like 30 different cuts of that movie because it was considered so scandalous. I mean, the BBFC considered a lot of things scandalous in that day, but the Devil's goes pretty hard. And uh, so, yeah, that's sort of a broad outline of the, uh, as as simply as I can make it, of the weird theological mishmash at the core of uh, the mythology here. I don't know where the name Dionan is derived from. Presumably just meant to sound Latin to parallel the snake god to... Um, to the Roman side of British myth, though, of course, if it's meant to be like the primordial Britain, it should actually be a Celtic name, not a Celtic name, but a, uh, a pre-English name. Um, but that's, of course, it derives from this very specific uh, clash of cultures um, that still influences modern Britain today. The city of Bath, for example, was founded by the Romans and is basically identical, much of its streets at least, basically the exact same as laid by the Caesars. Um, and probably plenty of other places that me not being a British scholar, I don't know about. But anyway, that's uh, that's the lecture part of the uh, review. Let's get back to the memes. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I really appreciated they... that. Um, that kind of does actually shed a lot of light on some of the underlying themes of this movie. So... Gnosticism, it should be noted, last note. Uh, extremely often considered a much more uh, woman-friendly church as well, because in some Gnostic texts, Mary Magdalene is said to have received secret wisdom from Christ. Also, by extension, considered uh, a, a church of the marginalized in general by modern neo-Gnostics. So we could definitely draw parallels to that, presumably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of miss this era of horror, and granted, I need to explore more of it, because right now the only examples I can think of is this and The Witcher, where it's kind of this comparative theme, underlying themes of religion kind of fighting for each other, because if nothing else, it creates amazing aesthetic conflict throughout the film and really makes the imagery stand out, and it's... I don't know. With slashes, maybe it's just because it's been analyzed to death in our current culture because of its roots in like a American specific fears. But when you look overseas at the different kinds of cultural fears they have, it's just so fascinating to me. And I really wish there was there was more films that I I have seen about it. I'm sure there are more, especially in the 70s. So that's that's something I'm going to do. 
My uh, documentary recently came out about the golden age of British folk horror, which is rather interesting. Uh, not an area I'm familiar with, but definitely something that uh, you're not the only person to express interest in that, for sure. Yeah. Um, so to wrap things up, since we got like halfway through plot synopsis, um, Snake Lady is ready to make a sacrifice to the snake god. So she kidnaps one of the sisters, who coincidentally is named Eve, um, if we <gasps> want to make more parallels, and plans to sacrifice her. There's a lot of, like, sexual... They're not even undertones, just sexual stuff. She um, has a strap on. Yeah, no, she, she literally has a, like, has a giant strap on. So make and her she's that naked. Yeah. Um... But the um, Peter Capaldi teams up with Rich Guy and the other sister to come in and rescue her. In the process, Peter Capaldi does end up being bitten by the snake woman and uh, goes on to become the next servant of the snake god. After a Very... really hilarious fake out involving the antidote. Yeah, it's the best. It's the best fuck you downer ending I've ever seen. Also, there it is a brief um, detour before the final act where um, one of the sisters is being chased down at the snake lady's mansion uh, by the possessed police officer. And it has been established that music can charm the snakes like they start doing this weird dance. So Peter Capaldi yes. shows up with some bagpipes and just starts playing and doing the semi chase sequence with the cop who has been bitten by the snake. And it's the best thing ever. Okay, and the snake lady literally pops out of a basket. Like a snake yes. being charmed by a snake <laughs> charmer and starts dancing. Anytime anyone starts playing music, like, the snake people just start going nuts and dancing, and it's very funny. Slaves to the rhythm, baby. Oh, it's There's so an obligatory weird. joke here for any, uh, to pop, the, uh, to pop whoever may be listening in the crowd who are of the Scottish persuasion... The, the inevitable joke of the Scottish inevitably making up for the mistakes of the fucking Tories. <laughs> if you have any Scottish fans, they'll pop at that line. I hope we do. I actually don't know. I haven't heard from any Scottish fans, so this is your invitation. Scottish fans, uh, Scottish fans represent... I don't, speak any, I don't speak any Scottish Gaelic or even Scots, but, uh... Yeah. So this... I just... I'm a little lost for words, I've got to say, like this whole episode, because I'm just still kind of in awe of how completely bonkers this movie was. I mean, you let me soliloquy, soliloquize at length about weird history marginalia more than anyone should reasonably allow me to do that. So that definitely does seem to be the vibe. It's interesting, because I think this movie justifies both. Like, I could see it... I, I definitely want to read papers about this. I want to see, like, cultural backgrounds and, like, symbolism. Like, there were a ton of different gods in the background. Like, there were Hindu gods and portraits in the back that, um... Oh, Aaron, which one did you point out that it might be? I pointed out... Okay, there's a painting of Ganesha. I think it's Ganesha, because it's a bunch of arms and I think an elephant face. There are snake demons in Hinduism, but I don't think that was one of them. I think it was Ganesha. And I have no idea anything about hindu mythology admittedly i have not read the great hindu epics all the way through anyway 
that would position Ganesha as the person as the figure to have in that sh- over the fireplace. I, I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Which like they might have just put it in there because you know there is a certain aspect of just putting it in there because it aesthetically fits what they're looking for, which is neither here nor there in terms of respecting religious belief because it is a a very campy, schlocky, horny horror movie. So I don't know how if anyone's going to get any respect in this movie except I guess Peter. I guess there is that funny story that I've heard once of uh, of the uh, the British during the days of the Raj, the British rule of India, hiring local Indians to kill snakes and paying them by the snake. So Indians would just go out, buy snakes in the market, kill them, and then and then say that they had found them out in the forest and shit. <laughs> um, oh my god. Yeah, it could be like something... Um... Maybe just to show, like, because it is in Snake Lady's home, that she's a colonizer. <laughs> I can't think of a, like I... an eloquent way to put that. Well, um, and she had this right, great I'm... monologue about how like arrogant the Christians are that you think your God is the one true God, the best God. Your God kind of kind of ruined the fun for all the rest of us. And I, I I'm always so fascinated with the the kind of concept of multiple gods like living at once and kind of vying for power kind of in the old Greek way. It's 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 very interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, I guess to me, I thought it might be more of a, like, a, a commentary on the British aristocracy. Um, oh, yeah. Because, you know, Britain did, like, colonize India for a long time and um, was generally pretty awful. So, like, I didn't know if maybe it was... Because she is pretty wealthy so i didn't know if maybe it was like a commentary on that it's like having really a character know. express it's like having a character express nostalgia for rhodesia right yeah uh, right. maybe not quite as hefty as that because <laughs> the uk and india are on broadly good terms now but well it's interesting the whole film seemed to be building up hugh grant's character as like the ultimate hero um, because his ancestors were the one killing the worms. He actually does kill. Oh, this sequence is so cool. Um, so they find the parents of the, the two girls, uh, because the snake lady has turned them into snake servants. And the mother goes after Hugh Grant and he slices her in half with a broadsword before he falls on his drum set. I hate it when that happens. <laughs> and it's such a cool practical effect where her top half is like writhing trying to get him and her bottom half is covered in like viscera and kicking around and both halves are moving at the same time. It felt very almost Evil Dead-esque in terms of the, the goriness of it and the textures that they were using for the viscera. It was both very cheap but very effective at the same time and also very like intricate. I don't mean cheap in a bad way. I mean like I could tell which ingredients they started to use and just mix them all together and it looks fantastic. Yeah. Ingredients is one of the best words I've ever heard used to describe <laughs> effects. I love because in a lot of cases it is literal food they're using, but I've never <laughs> I'd never seen that brought together that way. That's a very novel way of putting it. Yeah, put it in a stew. Um <laughs> blood stew. Just kind of thinking out loud, but like, um, I feel like this movie would go really well in a double feature with The Wicker Man, just because the the themes and the vibes are very similar, and I feel like they would just, they would go together really well. It would have to be the B film, right? Because The Wicker Man is pretty emotionally devastating. So after Mm -hmm. you've seen Edward Woodward go up in flames, you get this other movie, that also has kind of a down ending, but is a hell of a lot funnier. 
I, it's hilarious though, because that just made me realize that the vibe of the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man more suits the vibe of this one in terms of its comedic tone. Whereas the themes of the original Wicker Man, even though it has a more somber kind of tone to it, fits the themes of this movie. So it's just a weird little movie we've watched. I, I love this movie. It was wacky. Yeah. I'm glad I, yeah. I'm oh, glad man. I stayed up to watch it, for sure. Okay, I just gotta have one line about the fucking, the closed captions for this movie on Tubi, right? Yeah. So, yeah, a so, couple of times. So, oh, sorry. So an indication for how, for how difficult these accents are to parse. One line in particular, right? There are a few other examples. I think, uh, gosh, uh, Pagan Snake God, that Peter Capaldi, a line Peter Capaldi says, is rendered as Pig and Snake God. So weird. Mm -hmm. And the greatest line ever, when they're investigating the cave and they find some, uh, some, some, uh, fertility drawings and, and whatnot, cave paintings, uh, the line, kinky lot, primitive man, becomes, and I shit ye not about one word of this, kink it up, primitive man. <laughs> kink it up. This is what happens when you get the fucking yanks to do the subtitles for your Brit horror movie, goddamn. <laughs> uh, yeah. The ending Samuel also- Johnson was right, man, we suck ass. <laughs> The ending, the vibe of it kind of reminded me of an American werewolf in London where it's just so jarring because I legit thought there's a moment after everything's resolved when uh, Peter Capaldi and Hugh Grant are smoking and talking about how they solved the big snake problem. Uh, every plot point in this movie sounds like a euphemism. Anyway, uh, and I thought they were going to freeze frame on them laughing together. But after we get the news that, no, you didn't get the real snake antidote, so now you're possessed by the snake lady. Like, he looks over at Hugh Grant after he sees the snake bites on his leg, and it just cuts to black, and I half expected... No, and the worm song did start playing, so it just... That big dramatic beat hits, and then it just goes to black and just has this really rare and uplifting song. It... I don't know, uh, kind of the same thing as The Wicker Man, where the w ending of American Werewolf in London is more of a gut punch and a very like tragic ending. ending. Of, uh, shades of the ending of Return of the Living Dead, right? Yes. This movie ended like the end of the Michael Jackson thriller music video. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're not wrong. I wish he had the snake eyes. <laughs> That would have been so good. Yes. <sighs> he like turns around in the car and, and then it freeze frames on Peter Capaldi with snake eyes. <laughs> and, then it's and then you just, just hear Vincent Price. Yes. God, one wishes one wishes that Joe Bob Briggs would cover this someday because the fucking drive in totals for this oh, movie. Yeah. Jesus. Oh, yes. That would be great. Gratuitous Oscar Wilde reference. Gratuitous. Snakes and ladders. Fucking gratuitous everything. <laughs> but never Snake boring. Rolls, body rolls. Snake foo. Panning salon foo. <laughs> oh, yeah. Remember in the dream sequence that uh, Hugh Grant is having when it's revealed where the white worm is hiding? Where they just start fucking wrestling on the plane? Yes. Oh, that right. Was and then, wild. like. It, like, shows his crotch and he's holding a marker and he keeps lifting the marker. <laughs> the 
this movie is he so has as an aficionado of as an, an aficionado of the craft boner. of wrestling, I can tell you that that match was all right, but it would have been much better if it had happened in the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> so um i'm gonna kind of cut us off here because it's way past midnight and i think we're all like letting the the post midnight brain worms get us a little bit um does anyone have any last thoughts last thoughts (laughs) um my last thoughts are um this is a wild good movie and it's on Tubi and you should watch it. <laughs> yeah, I I'm... agree. Um Tubi is free. Sometimes it has ads. So we didn't get any ads. So um thank god. Anyway, just just go to Tubi, watch it. You can watch it for free. It's fantastic. Like 10 out of 10. Definitely recommend. Absolutely. I'm going to be thinking about this movie for weeks. My uh my closing thought is, I mean, I like this movie like everyone else. I feel like even if I hated this movie, or if it bounced off me really, really hard, I would have still respected it for having the audacity to exist exactly as it does. I agree with that. Warts and all. I mean, I'm at the point, once you've seen enough shit... Like, I was briefly considering starting a podcast to show people all the weird shit I have seen. And I, because I'm a lazy facker, I never got past the first episode. Um, you, You begin to respect the audacity of, yeah, I did that. What the fuck are you going to do about it, filmmaking? (laughs) Yeah, I've got to agree. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, you can find us, as always, on Twitter at Netflix underscore in underscore kill. We're also on Patreon, where you can get access to all sorts of bonus episodes and other special perks. Uh, your support is always appreciated. It helps us keep our show running. A uh, special shout out to Jenna and Miyoko for being some of our higher tier donors. And uh, yeah, we we appreciate y'all. We appreciate yeah. we appreciate each and every one of our listeners. Um, yeah. But uh, here's Jenna hoping a dummy mommy snake outs. lady uh, blesses you, Patreon donors. I think you earned it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that is the For best sure. I've ever heard. Uh, well, thank thank you all once again for joining us. And as always, may your nightmares be plentiful. Especially if and they full of snake women. Yeah, oh, and full yeah. of sexy snake women with the strap. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs>